This week, we talk all things feminist with Jasmine Berger, community activist, feminist, and humanitarian. I also dropped an important message to the men in leadership toward the end of this episode related to some of the mistakes that I noticed in my own leadership patterns thus far. So make sure you listen all the way till the end of this episode. But if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check back next Saturday when we're going to be releasing the second half of this conversation. Feel free to follow us on all of our socials and give us a follow on any of the platforms you're currently listening on to be the first people to know when the episode comes out. Without further ado, let's get into this amazing conversation between Joey, myself, and Jasmine Bird. Episode 009, we are back with the Debate Without Debate podcast for another amazing conversation, and today, a very anticipated one. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So as we do with every one of our guests, could we just start off with you giving a little description about yourself, some of the stuff that you've done? Sure. So in high school, um, I started the Jane Women's Gender Equality Club (laughs) with um, Jessica Yerushalami. And what that has really turned into is discussion and fundraising club about um, different women and gender issues. Um, And the reason that I wanted to start it is because I've done a lot of volunteer work um, abroad with with women in developing nations. So a few years ago, I worked at a school in India, um, and there was a lot of different things that the school did, but mainly it was to convince villagers to send their girls to school and by doing this to prevent child marriage from occurring in these villages, mm-hmm. even though technically um, the age is 18 legally to get married. It doesn't really extend to these rural villages, so it comes down to local nonprofits and schools to try to really solve the issue. And then the summer after that, I worked in Cambodia um, also did a few different things, but one of them was um, there's a lot of sex trafficking that goes on in Cambodia, and one of the organizations that we partnered with um, uh, took girls out of that cycle and um, brought, gave them an education, and also, it was kind of random, but trained them to be semi-professional soccer players, and they would go around different parts of Asia competing, mm-hmm. so really to give them a purpose and have like team-structured um, events to try to keep their mind on track and things like that. So it was a culmination of a bunch of different things, and like randomly, like the Girl Rising documentary we watch in 10th grade, um, I started working with that organization, so it was just like a lot of things, and I wanted to make a direct club in the school to focus on things like that and just discuss more gendered issues. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's that's kind of where I think Joey and I have both seen you do the most impactful work, um, and I think you're the, the single person that has gone not just from our community and doing work in our community, but also trying to make it an international thing, which is something that I really respect because... At our age, people are very small in their thought. They're very restricted, which kind of makes sense. Like, you see your community and you say, what can I answer? But you've really tried to step up and try and answer questions that are bigger than just what's this small community look like, what does the world look like, and how do we make it better for women? That's dope. One of the things that, when we were planning this episode, this was kind of the focus of what we wanted to talk about. 
Um, and we talked a little bit about this with Ariel, but I want to I wanna first jump into, I, w- I also want to jump into all the, the work that you've done because I think not only is it inspiring for other people to know that those opportunities are out there, but also it's, it's just genuinely really interesting to see what you've done. But first, I want to set up that conversation with a conversation about feminism. Um, first, and, and we can all answer this question, what does feminism mean to each of us? And then also, do we consider ourselves feminists? Jazz, you can start first. Okay. So that was a big part of when we started, Jane. I, I, anyone at Roslyn High School probably saw the signs, what is Jane? Yeah. And what that tr- translates into is, what does feminism mean to you? So f- it doesn't definitely has a lot of different connotations, but for me, it just purely means gender equality. And right now, for the most part, it's usually women who are the one are the ones that need that equality in most situations although there are definitely different societal factors that impede men as well Mm -hmm. um so in our club discussions we do mainly focus on women but we also talk about like issues that like single fathers have and um and like males going into women dominated fields and things like that but for me it's just realizing that the way that society is structured is very gendered and places different stereotypes and and roles for both men and women and just breaking down that barrier to just achieve achieve equality okay and do you consider yourself a feminist definitely (laughs) joe what do you think um i kind of sort of agree with jasmine in the sense that i don't think that feminism only pertains to women but I think it pertains to the global community and allowing for basically just equal representation, equal opportunity for every gender, basically everyone. I, I want to translate feminism to the global community, not just on a basis of gender, but even race, right? Because I know that we talk a lot about like black woman versus white woman, what's the difference in terms of life or like healthcare, stuff like that. And I feel like feminism really translates to just overall equality. So, Am I a feminism in that regard? Yeah, I don't. I don't think am you I, could be a feminist. Am, am I a feminist? I'm, I'm so out of it. Uh, am I a feminist? I kind of, sort of think I am, but I think that the current version or the current kind of perversion of what feminism is kind of detracts me from identifying as a feminist because there's a lot of negative connotations associated with it. But I'm sure that we'll talk about it more. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about that right now. What level of perversion have you seen? Um, that, that that makes you disenchanted by the movement. I think that a lot of times f- the term feminism has been associated with a lot of militancy uh, in the sense that people use it as a kind of like breeding ground to stomp against men sometimes. Sure. Um, which quite obviously isn't what feminism entails. It just entails equality for all. Um, and they're just using women as a focal point to kind of allow for an equal playing field. But yeah, I just think that in the current status of feminism or how people are interpreting it in the status quo, it's definitely been perverted from its original meaning, which is kind of what makes me feel a bit hesitant. Sure. Jazz, have you seen the the same level of perversion or, I mean, because coming from a different perspective. Yeah. I think that the way, the, the connotation surrounding it is not because of the feminist movement itself, but the way that people perceive it. Okay. So people who don't agree with feminism or saying, oh, it's man-hating, it's only for women, things like that. I don't actually think that the feminist movement, like the biggest things that we've seen recently is like the Women's March and and big things like that and just over social media. I don't think it's actually coming from the feminist movement, that militant side. I think that's what 
the other side is trying mm. to spin it as. So what? So what is the other? Like in terms, of just like people who aren't anti-feminist. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I I think I agree with you, Jazz. Um, from from my perspective, I've seen feminism as gender equality, and I also recognize what Joey's talking about, where gender equality is not just a a white canvas. It's it includes all different races, and you have to almost answer all of those questions at the same time. They answer the questions of um, gender expression, answer the questions of race, answer the questions of income inequality, all of that. But here's where it's become the most difficult for me. And I, I know we've talked about this before, and we t- I talked about this a little bit at Jane. I am fearful that the feminist movement is trying to take on too many questions. I'm fearful that they're trying to answer the question of racism while trying to answer the question of sexism, while trying to answer the question of transphobia, while trying to answer the question of income inequality. And these are all things that do have to be answered. But when you try to center a movement around one thing, if you had to define one specific goal for a movement, it's very hard to to define where gender equality ends and then it yeah. ends up becoming something about racism yeah. or or um, wealth inequality. Yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, just to add on to what Asher was saying, I don't really think that feminism can be considered like a messiah movement. I don't know if that kind of yeah. makes sense, but like, it's not like the holy grail and the answer to everything else. It's not like the freaking holy Bible, you know what I mean? It's just trying to answer one subsect of life, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just gender equality. And so, yeah, that that's kind of the perversion that I've seen recently where people yeah. are just like, oh, uh, it can answer stuff like, give me an example of something that it can answer. I don't, I, I well, don't know. Like medical issues, for instance, like, oh, may- like yeah, like maybe maybe it has some sort of like relation to healthcare, sure, but I don't think that maybe feminism is like the key to, to solving the cure for cancer or something like that. Yeah, I definitely see that it it does take on a lot of different issues and like with this whole push of with um like intersectional feminism, yeah. um, which just means like recognizing that different groups like usually socioeconomic or um, racial groups face different barriers because of their their race and gender combined um and we've definitely seen that especially in the women's march this year so i actually did not march this year because of the whole anti-semitism um issue that was going on could you give a little bit of background for people who don't already know about that yes so um it was start the women's march was started by um, a bunch of different women, n- namely Linda Sarsour, who's a Palestinian-American, and um, Tamika Mallory, who's a black woman, and a few other people, but those are the two that are most controversial right now because they um, had meeting, they were, s- fa- on social media, they were supporting Louis Farrakhan, who's um, a priest, He's the head of the Nation of Islam, but he's said very anti-Semitic things, calling Jews cockroaches and things like that, and they were supporting him. And then this whole article came out in the New York Times about one of the leaders who is Jewish, and she said that she was forced out mm. because they she didn't feel welcome. And there was a, a lot of different controversies, and still, like, they haven't denounced Louis Farrakhan. Um, and I just felt that as a Jewish woman, that it w- was that I wasn't that welcome in that move, but it is a little bit more complicated because they're the national founders, but there's all these different like sister marches that yeah. don't really associate with them. So 
it's it's very complicated issue, but I think that it's because the scope of the women's movement became so large and tackled so many different issues such as race and religion that then you start to have that divide. Yeah. The hardest thing for me is how how do we contain it in a way where it doesn't end up per, uh, not necessarily perverting, but ostracizing some or excluding some people, like for example, Jewish Americans. But at the same time, you're trying to answer those questions. Like I, for me, that's just genuinely the hardest thing to, to, to figure out, you know, and, and this is one of the conversations I loved that you brought up at Jane. Can you really Can support, you? support a movement if you disagree with the leaders? And we could definitely talk about that too. For sure. Um, Joe, if you want to, you want to kick off that. Yeah. That so, uh, I think the short answer is sometimes, which I know people really hate that answer. It really depends. Um, you have to look at the particular situation and analyze it for yourself. So, uh, in terms of feminism and my own personal, uh, just from my own opinion, I think that you still can support the movement and not support the leaders. Cause I know that the feminist movement has brought a lot of more benefits than actual negatives. And, you know, having a few smudges on the founders' names, sure, that's a bad thing, and sure, that makes a bad rap for the actual movement in and of itself. But I still think is, I still feel as though the movement in and of itself is harnessed and really structured in a kind and loving place where they're not really trying to do anything negative, um, but in turn, just trying to do good for the world. Yeah, what do you think, Chess? Um, well, so it's not like they're the founders of feminism. They're yeah, just yeah. Kind of a a big so like a lot of people see them as that because um, they're so there's so much like press around the women's march. But um, I think that yeah, you can especially because the women's march has so many different like sister organizations. Like the, they were just hosting the one in D.C., but like there were actually two in New York um, because of this divide and whatever. But I definitely think that you still can support the movement, especially since they're they're not they're just the women's march. They're not fem yeah. like all of feminism. One of the interesting things that I saw in the news when all the anti-Semitism stuff came out is that there were people who were willing to protest the original movement, but making it their own version of the women's march. And it was kind of interesting because they still had the same goal of of um, I guess the women's march was also a response to to Donald Trump. Um, so trying to follow in that vein, but also trying to respond to the anti-Semitism and being like, listen, we don't stand for that. But in a, in a very weird way, it, it causes them to, to turn their heads on each other. And this is actually something that, and I'm, I'm going to throw a word uh, or a name out there that, I mean, I don't totally agree with him, but Karl Marx talked a lot about uh, in the context of, of capitalism where we would start fighting with each other, the proletariat would begin to fight with each other instead of trying to overthrow the system. And I almost think this is a very similar example where uh, in feminism, we're now almost fighting each other instead of fighting what is truly the yeah. issue, which is a, a system of, of, of a patriarchy across the world. And although it's different, men have certain advantages that women do not have. And yeah, in certain instances, women could have advantages. But in a general context, it's, it's men who have the leg up against women. So do you think that these splinter groups are hurting the movement in and of itself? Or do you think that it's a necessary evil, so to say? Um, so I think, I think this almost comes back to one of the roots of why we started our podcast. I think that the conversation needs to, to be there. I think there has to always be a conversation about whether things like anti-Semitism are good or bad, even though we, we know that they're bad. But to explain to other people and to, to in, in my mind, or at least in my own experience, the only way 
to convince these people that these things are wrong is to sit them down and have a genuine conversation. You can't fight things all out over just ideology. You have to explain your experience and explain why they're wrong to the other side, which is what we hope to do on this podcast. And, and hopefully eventually we'll get people who, who genuinely disagree with our versions of what the world lo looks like. Um, because I think there's a level of agreement that we've had so far. Um, but in my mind, the splinter groups, while yes, have a lot of negative aspects to them, the conversation I think is necessary. But I actually think one of the hardest parts of the conversation is the fact that the media has tried to sway it in a lot of different directions for their own political purposes. For example, um, and we've seen this happen a lot more lately ever since Trump has, has risen to become president or even become even more favorable. But I think... For the first time ever, we're truly noticing how much of a propaganda machine all the news organizations have become, where Fox News is incredibly loyal to Trump, even though there are certain statistics and there are certain um, clarifications to his presidency that are definitely not good, whereas CNN and MSNBC will be much more liberal. And I I've even noticed on some of, um, some of their commentators, basically some of their shows, they'll go to, for example, like the RNC, um, or they'll go to what was there was like a convention for a bunch of Republicans that Trump spoke at. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, that was recently, and he like hugged a flag or something. It was really weird. But um, at that convention, um, Van Jones was also there, and he said, "Why aren't you not on our side?" And it's like he's a media person, and he's saying, "Why are you not on our side?" Meaning a Democrat. Like, and and there's almost a point where it comes. You have to separate your political affiliation with what you're reporting. And I think that's kind of the hardest part, especially in the context of the Women's March, because people were perverting what was being said for the Women's March to say that, oh, feminism is terrible because it's anti-Semitic. For, for example, like Fox News might say something like that because they would bash on feminists a lot and say that they were snowflakes. Whereas for MSNBC, they're trying to answer these questions in a way that still maintains um, the movement because they saw it as a valuable thing. And, and for me, that becomes very difficult because it's not a genuine conversation you're now having. It's a political conversation and trying to gain some sort of points with voters. And that to me is just disgusting, one. And two, it doesn't do any good for us. So I think the splintered groups, in a way, makes sense. I think there's always going to be splintering of groups. But I think we need to be more cognizant of how we are being impacted by our surroundings. And in a way, we need to start answering those questions for ourselves and let it, instead of letting people answer them for us, like on the news. That, that's you, my Jasmine? take. Okay, so just commenting on a few things that you said. So with all of like the media personalities, um, or yeah, like the newscasters, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to separate. Like that's kind of brings up the same question, like like the news and like their leaders and like can you support yeah. like it's becoming very impartial and I think the reason for that is social media because like you'll have these people who are trying to to report the news in an unbiased fashion and then but then they'll right after they're done shooting they'll go on uh, Twitter or Instagram and start like spouting their political beliefs so then like yeah. you know th that Van Jones is a Democrat because he says all these things on Twitter and then sometimes brings it on to the show or and like you know that the bias that that he has and and same thing with Fox News so it's just it is becoming very difficult and same thing with 
Linda Sarsour and Tamika Mallory, it was never in the Women's March platform. It didn't really talk, it didn't even talk about like the Israeli-Palestine issue. Yeah. And it didn't specifically mention like in the groups that they support. It just said like all religious minorities. It didn't specifically um, say Jews until until after mm. this controversy. I remember when we saw that on the website. Yeah. We looked at it like before and after mm-hmm. we saw the edition. But um, so so like in the Women's March platform, it wasn't even saying anything, but it was the leaders that were being that you could see on social media who were um, being who were espouting these beliefs. So it does become hard because the movement when the movement isn't geared that way, but the leaders are like, how do you deal with that? And that's why I think that the splinter groups are important because you still you can't just be like, oh, I support feminism. So I'm going to support the Women's March blindly. You still have to. Rec- like be willing to have these conversations and call things out when when they're not right weird thing i think our political system has become a system where we are so devoted to a party or to an idea that we don't do that on anymore where i noticed a lot of people trying to be apologists when it came to the women's march and saying well you know i mean like the israelis do a lot of bad stuff so maybe what some of what they're saying is okay and you know farrakhan yeah like he said some bad stuff but also he's he's the leader of the nation of islam so we have to recognize that he's an important figure and like it it becomes very difficult no one stands against it yeah and and i think that's happening right now on both sides um i think very simply and we've talked about this before in the trump camp i think republicans have become wusses and they have said well we're just going to de facto your opinion and the reason why is because they fear that they're they're going to lose their seat um and i mean this gets into other things that, that i personally believe like i think term limits could potentially be a good idea to resolve some of these issues so that people were not always concerned about their seat um which i'm also interested in both of your opinions about but on top of that i also think it's happening in the democratic camp where even though there are, I guess, more splinter groups because just in general, the Democratic base is much more diverse. There's a bit of a loyalty to the idea of being an anti-Trumper. And, and that becomes difficult, especially when, let's say, someone like a John Kasich pulls up and he, he says, you know, I'm going to run against Trump for the Republican nomination or even as an independent. Then it becomes difficult because... If we are constantly stuck trying to say we're against Trump or against Trump or against Trump, but then we get an alternative option that's also an against Trump, then it's like, wow, uh, like I don't know what to do anymore. They're both against this guy. And then it splits the vote, and then we end up with Trump again. So I don't know. It's hard. Do you think that Trump has strengthened the feminist movement or that he's weakened it? Ooh, I think I want Jasmine to answer that first, yeah. I think that he strengthened it. Really? I think that a, a big reason of why I became so politically active um, and active and interested is because like I started becoming politically aware during the Trump president, like in in 2016, like as I was, because that was when we were in ninth grade. Yeah. So like my mom always jokes like, oh, like we kind of have to thank Trump because that's why you're so interested. I mean, it could have happened without like whatever, because there was an election when I was a freshman anyway, but I think that, I mean, the Women's March, I don't think would have happened. It was a direct response to Trump. So I think that, like, people are saying that people have woken up because Trump is such a stain on democracy and people are recognizing that we have to defend against it in so many different ways besides feminism. So, I mean, there's a lot of negatives. And, yes, I wish he didn't become president. But I think he also, 
he stirred a lot of people, a lot of complacent people who didn't even vote are now like the, yeah. the most vocal people against him. So I think that there there's a silver lining. I think that that stir up is key because I think Trump gets bashed on a lot and I don't particularly agree with his political ideologies. I don't think that a lot of people in this town do, but what I do appreciate about uh, what I do actually appreciate about him is how he's stirred up conversation because having a radical figure like that as the figurehead of our country is pretty crazy to think about. Usually our presidents are either pretty moderate uh, you can you can check me on this if you want. No, or, they're they're typically moderate because they have to reach across yeah, the aisle to do stuff. Yeah. So by him being fairly radical in thought and having a pretty radical support base, I mean he's he's supported by like David Duke and people like that, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty crazy to think about that that he's not really saying anything about that and that he has a pretty radical ideology. It, it really does stir up a lot of a lot of controversy and a lot of conversation. I think that that will benefit us in the future in terms of our future elections, uh, particularly the 2020 election, because a lot of people have came up to the bat and are like, we need to change our ways because Trump has proven to us that we need to shift gears. For instance, mm. like uh, Pete Buttigieg, right? He's, I love that man. Yeah, so he's shifted. You, I'm sure that you could talk more about him, yeah. but uh, he's definitely a massive response to the Trump era, so to say. I mean, he's a young guy. He's in his 30s. He's a gay man. He's from the Midwest. Yep. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. So it's just really crazy to think that Trump, although pretty terrible in mindset, has allowed for some good things to blossom. There's almost an appetite for that as well within the country for something that's not as in your face. And so the, the one thing I want us to clarify, though, now is there's a very easy way for us to generate or to, to extrapolate Joey's opinion to say, well, you know, Trump's a good thing because he like burns the whole system down and then we could just rebuild. Like, I don't think that's true. I, I think what Joey's trying to say, and Joey, tell me if I'm wrong, is that it's almost good to sometimes look on the positive side. Of course. Because we can get very down in the dumps. And I, and I think I got into this position a lot towards the middle of the year, where I was consuming a lot of news and a lot of Trump rhetoric and, and all the responses to him, which, by the way, I think fuel his power. But irrespective of that, I think that when I got so absorbed in politics and all the negativity, I just felt depressed. I, I just didn't feel good at all. And the thing that I am happy about, and part of the reason why a special piece of my heart goes to Pete Buttigieg is because I think he is the optimism I was looking for. I originally thought it was in Beto O'Rourke. I now no longer think it is in Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> I now think it is in Pete Buttigieg. Um, and I'm proud to say that that I support what he's doing. Do I know if he's going to win the presidency? Absolutely not. But I'm, I'm even debating whether or not... I've never worked on a campaign before. And the more I hear from him, even though he hasn't substantiated a lot of policies, but the more I hear, the more... I feel like I need to work for him. Not even because I feel like he's going to win, but just because I believe in what he's saying. And, and I don't agree with everything he says, but I just like the, the way he presents himself and the way that he encourages people to come together, even if they are on opposing sides of the aisle. And he's very disarming, which, which I like a lot. And, but like with that comes a lot of power too, because he could take the country in a really bad direction as well. But... That's up to people's interpretation. Why are you not supportive of Beto anymore? Okay. Um, I think he's become an apologist. Um, 
And yes, I, and I understand why he's doing it, but he seems disingenuous. And, and like his joke about him going out and his wife basically taking care of his kids. Like, yeah, I get it. It's not the most PC thing to say. But also, you don't have to apologize so much for such a small comment when it detracts the whole purpose of your campaign mm -hmm. and, and what you're trying to do. And especially when he talks about things like white privilege, I think, I think it's important to discuss those things. And I think that's something that other candidates have also started to do. And, and I like that that conversation is now occurring. But I feel like he almost he's looking at all the things that are potentially bad in the eyes of the voter base in the eyes of, for example, black Democratic voters, which some people have been saying are tr starting to go back to the Republican base. Um, because that's where, during Reconstruction, they got a lot of votes from, from black people, the, the radical Republicans at least. And I think he's too calculated on who he's going to get as voters. And, and I, don't, I don't like that. I, I realize that the same criticism could come for, for someone like a Pete Buttigieg or even like a Bernie Sanders, but... I don't know. I think it's just too out in the open, and like he's he's a hot figure, but I don't know what he really has to stand for. Okay, I think that he. I kind of like the fact that he's very like acknowledging all sure. like his white privilege and and all these different things. I agree that he maybe apologizes too much, and yeah. like his first like when he announced his campaign on Vanity Fair cover, and he was like, "I was just born to do this." And people were like, "Oh, only a white male would say that." Mm. I'm like, that's just a saying. Like, give him a break. Like, I feel like like he's almost being criticized, like overly criticized because he's a white male. But I feel like he's acknowledging that, yeah. which I kind of appreciate. Um, yeah, and I think that because the the candidates are so diverse, that like that like that criticism could go to like the eight white males that are running. But I yeah. think that he's doing the best job of like acknowledging that. I see that. I, I remember Kamala Harris had had a pretty big punch to his campaign about how you know he's traveling across iowa and new hampshire and he's able to do these road tours all throughout it to meet everyone kind of similar to how ted cruz did by the way but a little different um especially since he is nothing like a ted cruz but kamala was like you would never see a black woman doing this like it just would not be allowed in politics and she's kind of right like there's not an appetite for that and and people don't want to see that because they, they almost like the idea. And I, I, he said that one of his favorite books is either the Iliad or the Odyssey. Um, and I saw a comment that was like, of course, like he likes those types of books where it's about a white man going on a journey through throughout, like trying to find himself and, and all that stuff. But it's like a whitewashed version of what would actually happen because, you know, black people can never access that, that version of just being able to leave your land and, and go on a journey and fight in a war and all that stuff. So... I do I do still like him. I don't I don't think he's lost in any way. I mean, it's only started now. It's just and maybe this is me buying again into the media hype that's trying to force a bit of optimism down my throat. But I have found a level of hope that I think I kind of needed within Pete Mayor Pete whereas in Beto's version of the world, it's a little bit more negative. Um he talks a lot about capitalism and how it's a broken system and needs to be overhauled. Whereas, like, I don't totally agree with that. Like, I think there's redemption that can exist. But I like the way that, that Mayor Pete would then explain, you know, capitalism's broken, but here's what we do to fix it. Um, I would love 
to see the two of them have a conversation, not even a debate. I, I actually, okay, so this is my opinion. I don't like the debates. I kind of think they're stupid. Like, I understand why they exist, but I much prefer the version of a town hall, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm interested in your take on this, actually. So Bernie just did a town hall on Fox News, and I kind of, I, I watched it yesterday, actually. Um, and Bernie is not a Fox News guy. Like, they just don't like him. And it was very obvious, and this maybe gets into the whole idea of people's personal beliefs being attached to the media that they're representing. But he was just attacking Fox News on Fox News and, like, trying to talk about that. I'm, I'm curious, what do you think about the idea of Democrats going on to Fox News to spread their message? Do you think it's a good strategy, bad strategy? I don't know. I definitely... Okay, so obviously everything is a strategy, but I think that it's a really positive thing just to, like, have a conversation. Like, okay, yeah, they're trying to appeal to more voters, but there's still... Like, even if the people watching Fox News aren't going to genuinely listen to anything that they're going to say, they're trying. And it's just... I think it's a good thing to... Because, like, Fox News is just kind of like a a bubble and you just hear the same thing. I mean, you could say the same thing about MSNBC, but I think that the more you reach across the aisle and the best way to do that is on these like talk shows and things like that. Cause I think that, yeah, I think that's definitely a positive. I agree with you hundred percent. Um, one funny thing I saw, I saw a video today about Andrew Yang and you know, there's, there's all this talk and, and I remember mayor Pete being like, you know, I'm the first democratic candidate that's gone onto Fox news and introduced myself to the people which he did, I think, with Chris Wallace, um, who's a very, very respected political commentator and reporter. Um, And then Bernie had his whole town hall, so it was like kind of a bit of a switch. Um, But Andrew Yang's been on there five different times, and like he's a really small candidate. Um, But he's he's very interesting. He's into the whole UBI sort of thing. Which, I mean, so we we had a debate topic about that for states last year. it was really interesting. You want me to explain it? Yeah, you could explain right, cool. what UBI so, is. So UBI is a short short version of universal basic income. I'm sure that you've heard of it before. Um, basically what it entails is a government or, or basically, or maybe even a third party source mm-hmm. distributing uh, a lump sum of money to every single citizen in a particular area. So a lot of times they say that it's like $10,000. What is it per year or per month? No, not per not month. Not per month. It's per year. That would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> but per year, um, basically just, I don't want to say free money. I mean, it is free money. It basically is. But I it's, mean, it's the idea is that you're a citizen of the country and you deserve some sort of payback for being part of the system that's so successful. Yeah. So uh, this candidate is advocating for a UBI. Along with a lot of other stuff, by the way. Yeah. Like his website, if anyone's never checked it out. I read through it just because I was bored during some of my classes. I hate to say that, but it did happen. But I was trying to at least learn something, so I guess that's good. But I went on his website, and I looked through a lot of his policies. He has like 60 to 70 policies up there, which are very, very extensive, like an explanation of everything that he would potentially do. He then also includes some of his book, which, again, makes kind of sense because he's trying to make a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. I know it's probably not the right thing to say, but I think that's part of the reason. But like Bernie's a millionaire now. Oh my god! Oh my god! So <laughs> I, want, I actually want to talk about that because, uh, like, it, I think it just kills. It just kills his whole movement. Yeah. It literally does because he benefits from all the things he criticizes. And, and the way that he no, he definitely could have could have approached it better. Like even like, and I was just 
thinking of like Warren Buffett. Like he says that like, yeah, like my secretary pays more taxes than I do because of the whole like capital gains and income tax and whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm a million, I'm a billionaire, but that's just because of the system and I don't agree with it. Bernie could have taken that approach where he was like, yeah, like I benefited off of the capitalist system because it's structured to benefit people like me and that's how I'm a millionaire. Like you could have just acknowledged it, but he was like, oh, well, anybody can write a book and become a millionaire. Yeah. And that's like the epitome, that's like the epitome of a capitalist argument yeah. that he mm-hmm. hates. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Oh, yeah. That he really was like, uh, are you really going to blame me for writing a good book? And I was like, like, there's so like, many better ways to respond yeah. to that. Yeah. It was just his, like, it wouldn't have bothered me as much if he just acknowledged that the system benefits him. Yeah. Like, he, he just the way that he responded to it. What do you think of the whole Bernie sexism thing? I, yeah, he, like, did the same thing. Like, there's, it's very there isn't really one clear narrative. Like there's just like a few accusations and like that hasn't been really followed up that much in the media, but he again, just kind of brushed it off and yeah. just like, we were running a, a campaign that was inspiring the youth. Like we didn't have time to worry about that. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> is, is there redemption there though for his 2020 campaign? Cause he talks a lot about how he's going to try and make it diverse. And he's his, the first speakers he had when he announced were pretty diverse too. I'm not a Bernie supporter. Okay. So okay. Okay. I do not, I don't think that there's redemption. I just don't really agree with most of what he has to say and his other like things that are the fact that the way that he responded to being a millionaire and all these like accusations. Yeah. I'm just not vibing with him. So I've heard, but I feel like they're like Bernie bros, like his like mm. core base. I, I had a feeling you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they love him and they, they I think they'll definitely yeah. stick. Yesterday when I was watching the town hall, there were two um, Fox News news people. Um, one was a woman, one was a guy. And... This is the first time I think I've ever really noticed a potential sexism that Bernie kind of implicitly has endorsed or unconsciously has endorsed, which I actually want to talk about how, how that kind of relates to some of the things that I've done in leadership and where, where I think I've, I've made some mistakes. But he only responded to the guy. And he when he was addressing the, the commentators and addressing questions, he spoke to the, to the man on stage. And it's these very, very subtle things that when you recognize what's happening, you're like, dang, like he's kind of being sexist. And like regardless, yeah, and regardless of if that if that's something that he's doing cognizantly or consciously doesn't really matter because it still exists. And so this is where I kind of had a uh, revelation, I guess, a few months ago um, when I stepped back from a lot of my leadership positions and I realized I was kind of being sexist. Um, and this is this was a hard thing for me to recognize because I try to be a person, like I, I joined Jane because I genuinely agree with it. And I was happy to be one of the first guys as, as well as Brandon and, and Ryan to have gone to Jane and try and support in, in whatever way we could. But I noticed that we had a lot of bro culture on especially our debate team. And it made me really sad because and, and this the first time I, I was ever notified was when one of my friends came over um, to visit. And Joey, I think, won first at a competition. And I was really, really excited because Joey qualified to States and he won a competition. And I go there and we the bus pulls up and, and I'm like getting all excited and all the guys come to me. And, and we're just talking and we're talking about the whole experience and I'm congratulating them. And I noticed that two or three of the girls on our team have stepped off to the side. I didn't even notice that at the time, but my friend notified me that 
I was excluding people without even trying to. And I wasn't making enough of an effort to try and include them. But the hardest thing for me was to figure out how do you include those people without making them feel like you're trying to reach to them and pull them in. Like, because you don't want it to be a super explicit thing where it's like, you should be included in this because I'm doing something wrong. Because then, then it makes you, then I, or this is at least what my assumption is, and you could disagree with me if this is what you think. My assumption was that, you know, it kind of makes you feel bad in the same way that, like, if someone just told you, well, you're black and I want to be your friend because you're black, that would probably make you feel bad because you're like, I'm a person. Like, I'm, I'm not just black. In the same way, someone on my team, I shouldn't just say, well, you know, we want women because we want women. We don't care who you are. We just want a woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you could definitely speak to this too because you were also on the team and, and you ended up leaving it probably for that very same reason. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious as to both your takes on that because that was something that was really hard for me to realize and something that I'm trying to work on for the future. You can go for it. Um, yeah. So I was on the debate team ninth and I think 10th grade also. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and I could have just been like the leadership at the time or it could have been uh, but also just like the the culture around debate i just i just felt that masculine typical masculine traits were favored in yeah. in the in who was winning and and i think that just ha- speaks a lot to like the, which you also disagree with like all the parent judging mm. that's why you went on like the national circuit yeah, or whatever yeah. um that like they literally had no because my dad judged and he was like he was telling me like they were speaking so fast they weren't explaining anything like yeah like i didn't and the like briefing that they gave the judges like i didn't really know what the topic was yeah and um so like i didn't like have a good understanding of it and they were just screaming at each other and just like demeaning each other like my opponent is bad because blah 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 and it was just like like you want to give the win to the person who like seemed like they know knew what they were talking about and like was the most confident even if their argument made no sense yeah and i just felt like like i was trying to explain in like a clear manner and like and it is a male like activity yeah so most of my opponents were males and they would just be screaming and like very aggressive and i just like I just felt that it was yeah. a li- like the culture and the way that to win in like the lay tournaments or whatever was was like male oriented. So I just felt that, and also like the people who were who were picked to like get the most training in our school or whatever, it's like mainly guys, mm-hmm. and it was just yeah, I did not. I I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. Something that I I realized as well was that I I hundred percent fell prey to that, and I don't know if it's as much because I I wanted to be like that or if it was just because the activity tried to push me in that sort of direction where in activities that require you to be persuasive a lot of times you just yell and I did that for a really long time until one of the parents so we like you remember how there was a whole night like forensics night where the parents would come and they would watch I did a debate with with Anthony one of all of our friends and for the first time ever I had a parent ask in a very sassy way, does everyone do that? Like, is that just the norm? Because I don't want my kid doing that. And I was like, and my parents afterwards, and Joey, because he wasn't in the activity yet, were like, why the hell were you yelling? Like, there's just genuinely no reason. And it, it was really true. And I had to basically redo all of how I debated. And one thing that I'm proud of is I think that I, I changed the way I did that, especially last year at States, which Joey, Joey was able to watch some of my rounds too. But the thing that I was saddest about 
is the fact that that I knew it wasn't just you who was leaving, but the fact that that other girls were also mm-hmm. leaving. Because our year with our freshmen, um, we had a lot. We had a lot more girls than we did guys, and the guys stayed and the girls left. And I always asked myself, like, what the hell happened? Like, maybe the girls just didn't like it because that's just they just didn't like it. But upon more reflection, and I I I hope more guys will do this, especially in in leadership, to reflect on what you've done right and what you've done wrong and being able to recognize the things that you've done wrong and try and work to be better. Um, and which is something that I hope to, to do, like recognizing those things when hopefully like in college, I, I become a leader in some capacity yeah. again to make sure I'm not making the same mistakes. Because if, if I have come to a point now where I've recognized it, where I know some guys who have not recognized it, then I need to pave the way for, for, not just guys, but also girls, to recognize that and to to lead with my whatever whatever the phrase is with I, with my best foot forward, mm-hmm. um, and do my best to to make good on the mistakes that I've had. Yeah. So first off, I'm sorry that you had that experience. <laughs> um, I, it seems to be free recently occurring way more than it probably should be. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen a lot of girls or uh, women, so to say, are the women's girls, okay, girls <laughs> uh, leaving leaving the debate space because it's quote unquote too masculine. Though I particularly find an issue with the debate space right now. That's why I've ste- stepped back a little bit, um, particularly because of the reasons what you were talking about, why where people are basically just like yelling at each other, not really having an intellectual conversation, but instead are just trying to win a ballot, which the whole concept of that, trying to win a ballot from some, someone... That is, you don't even know. Yeah, that you don't even know is so unethical to me. And it's I don't think that it's humane. I don't think that it's right. Um, and another issue which I had with the debate in particular is that it portrays masculinity in a really flawed sense. So when a lot of times when women leave debate, they think, oh, this is too masculine for me. I'm going to leave. But what they're hearing and what they're seeing in debate is not masculinity. It's just called being rude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and men aren't like it's that. Toxic. Yeah. Yeah. It's toxic. Yeah. I don't think that it's masculine masculinity in and of itself because men or boys or whatever, whatever you want to call them, they can be kind too. We can have a, we can have a nice conversation <laughs> too, you know, but instead what a lot of girls in debate are seeing is the downsides of, of or the negative aspects of, masculinity per se and i just don't think that it paints me or my peers in a good light um and although we fall prey to it a lot of times it's it's not really great but there's uh, there's even more of a a general application to this because it's not just an activity it's the workplace it's how education works Mm -hmm. like in the classroom i've noticed this the most where boys are are picked to do presentations to speak to ask questions far more than girls are and i've found that that girls are typically much more reserved because they think if they speak out, then they're looked upon negatively because they're trying to do wh- what men typically would do in a classroom. It's really weird to, to realize how gendered our world is. And, and I know you spoke a little bit about this, but do you have any other experience that you'd be willing to talk about where you've, you've experienced something like that where, I don't know, maybe you realized how, how like kind of messed up the world is, that, that you were just born into it, and, and all of a sudden you're already like a step behind in some scenarios. I think that the the most relevant example I have is debate. Okay. Um, and then like when I kind of shifted to more like discussion oriented clubs or things like like 
global awareness club and like even ethics um where it's like more of a team like a team discussion and it's and it's based in conversation which are so it's not like yelling and aggression so more like feminine traits i guess mm. i found it to be more supportive and when you're when you're not when you're actually having a conversation for the purpose of like actually talking to someone instead of just winning um, I find that to be much more productive and same thing in the classroom like when yeah I definitely can see where like especially like not even in terms of answering questions but like it's usually like the guys who talk back or like they don't agree with the teacher yeah. they're more willing to raise their hand and be like I don't agree with that or like that doesn't make sense where like girls will answer questions but they won't be as likely to to speak out against something that they don't like agree if another peer says it or, or a teacher. So mm-hmm. I think that although people criticize a lot on these masculine centric activities or these feminine centric activities, um, oftentimes people don't offer solutions. So I'm curious to see what you got, what your takes are on the solution to these masculine, masculine. <laughs> Basically let's solve all of our issues with gender inequality. And no, groups. no, no. I'm just curious to see what, what the alternative is. Cause for me in particular, I think that adding opposite like other genders into the particular club or activity, which aren't traditionally in those particular activities. So like a woman in a leadership position would of course change the dynamic. That's what I've been trying to advocate for for the longest time and vice versa for uh, like woman-centric clubs. I think that males should have positions in, in those areas too, just to you know diversify the playing field. But I, I think I agree with that strategy in a lot of ways. But I think the important clarification, and it's also a conversation that I think we've had before, is making sure that you're not just picking a woman because she's a woman, but, but, she, but because she's qualified and she deserves the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and this is in, in more general cases, like with all the claims about how um, CEOs for companies are basically almost always men. The, the thing that I want to make sure does not happen is the same sort of bastardization of how affirmative action has worked. I am someone who actually agrees with affirmative action, but I think, again, probably because of news and probably because of the way it's reported about, that people have used it for their own political purposes by saying that you know people with like a 12 on their essay on their ACT can get into like Harvard and, and like it's just not true it's just a it's just a tiebreaker at the end of the day where two people are qualified and they're like well you know this person because of their race their gender their anything that they're talking about where they live because those are all included within affirmative action it's not just a race question all those things have to be taken into consideration when you look at the strength of a candidate and stuff like that. But more generally, I think aside from just having people in positions of power, it takes both sides of the equation, men, women, non-binary people, who, whatever you identify as, to realize that this system exists and to try and make an active effort from your own position on those little things that you do, like I talked about before, where... You try to do things that create more of a group setting as opposed to a separation of groups. So, for example, when you go out with people, you should include a diverse number of, or a diverse group of people, right? You shouldn't just be going out for, for a club, for example, right? You shouldn't just say, you know, I'm friends with the guys, so I'm just going to go out with the guys. And, you know, the girls, like, 
well, I'm not really friends with them anyway. No, if you're doing something related to, to a club or to an organization, everyone should be included. That's how you make people feel more comfortable ultimately. But the other side of it comes from not being toxic and not making really, really sexist jokes, which a lot of guys do, especially at our age. And they think it's funny. And it's, it's like, it's not funny. You're just kind of being a douche. And like no girl's going to want to talk to you or, or guy, to be frank. Um, it's, it's those more implicit things, those smaller things that I think are harder to answer. But if you try and make an effort, I don't think people are going to look down upon you for trying to be a more upstanding guy or girl or however you identify. Jazz, do you have any other thoughts on, on how we can address these issues? Yeah, I'm definitely a big believer in like diversity of demographics equates to diversity of thought. So I think that the more like people of color or women in leadership positions are just like having an influence in any organization um, is definitely going to allow for different like conversations to occur and like we're seeing that now in congress like this is the most diverse congress that's ever been sworn in and they're and they're mainly democrats and the democratic party is splintering almost because there's so many different people that they encompass and they all have different beliefs that kind of go against each other yeah and i think that so now we're not a united front but I think that we're having important conversations to kind of figure out like what direction you want to go in and, and just seeing that pe different people have different perspectives. So I think that just the more diversity in, not even necessarily in leadership positions, but just in a club and people making their voices heard would, would allow to Totally agree. And makes you want to dance. Steve Fox examines an overnight phenomenon. Rapping to the beat. We really hope you all enjoyed that first half of our conversation with our guest, Jasmine Berger. In our next episode, we talked about an issue that we've all been noticing happening a bit more lately called slacktivism on the internet. We also talked about Jasmine's experience in humanitarian work across the world, and especially how she's connecting it back to her home base in our local community. As always, this was the Debate Without Debate podcast. Signing off until next week, we out. Peace.